Behold your king. A man robed in royal purple, illuminated by the early morning sun peering over the wall. Parts of his face are purple too. The skin around both eyes is changing color. There are drops of blood coagulating and matting his hair beneath the cruel joke of a crown ripped up and twisted from the vines of a thorn bush. More threads of blood spot his bare arms and run down his legs, the mementos of the submission violently imposed on the prisoners of Rome. The soldiers pretend to bow, mouthing words of respect in a tone of voice that means anything but. Only a few of them remember the night before when a strange rumor ran through the barracks that the local troops sent to capture him fell back and collapsed when he just spoke a word, I am he. Only a few remember that nagging, troubling sense that this man didn't have to let himself be arrested, that he's here because he chose to be. The ones who do remember are especially cruel to make up for it. Behold your king. You can hear the irony in Pilate's voice. He's not enjoying this exactly, but he doesn't much like Caiaphas or the other temple leaders. And he gets a certain dry pleasure from watching them squirm and glare as he announces that this ridiculous, powerless figure is their great man, their leader, their ruler. Your king, who lives or dies at a word from Pilate, score a point for Rome. He just wishes he could get his own conversation with the prisoner out of his mind. Why wouldn't he just answer a plain question? Are you the king of the Jews? Say no, you might get off with just a beating. Or say yes and defy Rome. But what's a prefect supposed to do with a man who says his kingship is not from this world? Who says he came to bear witness to the truth? Who somehow keeps looking him in the eye and turning the questions around till Pilate starts to feel like he and not the prisoner is the one on trial? Finally, fed up with these elusive silences, Pilate demands, don't you know I have the power to have you killed or save your life? And this baffling, infuriating man shakes his head. No. You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. As if a Galilean miracle worker knows anything about true power. He tried to let the man go, honesty did. But they made it an issue of loyalty. If you release this man, you're no friend of the emperor. They made it almost a choice between this Jesus and his commitment to Rome. His position, his connections, his very identity. How could he risk all that? He twists his robe in his hands and mutters again under his breath, what is truth? Behold your king. Caiaphas and the others of the priestly caste are angry, of course. He's no king of ours. We'd rather have Caesar. At least he's far away. We have an arrangement with the local Roman powers. It's sometimes shaky. Sometimes doesn't work out for everybody. But it's better than the chaos of armed resistance. Surely it's better that one person die than the whole people be put to death. 
Jesus is a danger to everything they've built here. He's a lawbreaker. He healed and worked miracles on the day of rest. Something about the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He said he would destroy the temple and raise it again in three days. Worse yet, he challenged their authority in the temple itself. The number of his followers just kept growing, especially after he raised that Lazarus character from the dead. He claimed to be God's son. He's a blasphemer. He's a threat. And he had to go by any means necessary. They tried to get Pilate to change the sign nailed to the cross, but he refuses. What I have written, I have written, he says. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Behold your king. Peter watches from a distance, confused, devastated, heartbroken, angry at the governor, the priests, the soldiers, the traitor who handed Jesus over, mostly angry at himself. He was supposed to keep watch. He and the two sons of Zebedee were Jesus' most trusted friends. They were like a guard of honor. Watch and pray, Jesus said, something about not entering into temptation. And instead he fell asleep three times. What kind of watchman falls asleep three times in a single hour? But then the enemy showed up and he saw his chance to prove his loyalty, to demonstrate his love, his chance to redeem himself. And he struck a blow in Jesus' defense, a glancing blow to the right side of the head. Okay, he's not exactly a trained swordsman, but he was ready to fight to stand up for what he believed in. And then Jesus stepped between them. Jesus undid what Peter had just done and healed the scoundrel who came to arrest him. Jesus said, take me, but let them go. None of it made any sense. And that's how Peter found himself standing next to a courtyard fire with the very same people he was trying to fight just a couple hours earlier. Cold, afraid, trying to protect himself, swearing up and down, I never knew the man. Behold your king. There's his mother nearby, looking up through bleary eyes that have cried all the tears they have to cry, grieving, aching, remembering when he was just a baby, remembering the hope and the promise, the seemingly impossible birth, the angelic appearance. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. She stands there wishing there was something she could do to help him. This child of her body, flesh of her flesh, my son, my son, bleeding in agony, struggling for breath, and yet, what is he doing? He's making sure she's taken care of. He looks at his beloved disciple standing nearby, the one who knows somebody in the priest's household and can be there safely. And he says, here is your mother. He looks her in the eyes with eyes the same color as her own. And he says, behold your son. 
Behold your king. Just a few days ago, he said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. But now in the words of the prophet Isaiah, he has no form or majesty that we should be drawn to him. No beauty that we should desire him. His face is marred and disfigured like one who's accursed. We thought he was here to restore us, to save us from oppression. We thought that our long exile was finally coming to an end. We were waiting for him to lead us into the promise, to fulfill the covenant, to make us truly God's people. We thought he was going to teach us how to know this God he calls Father, to show us what the God of Israel is really like. Didn't he say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father? What on earth could that mean on a day like this? Behold your king.